I know what you're all thinking about now, as, uh, or not now because you've seen the slide, and, but I can imagine, as I said the prayer, uh, use your word even when it hurts, and you've heard the gospel reading, Matthew chapter 22, 15 through 22, which is about giving back to God everything that's God's, right? I could hear this audible <gasps> intake and gasp. Oh, gosh, Father Caleb's going to talk about money again. No, I'm not. Not today. Not today. Sometimes we just need to be encouraged. I, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I just need to be encouraged. I need to hear a word of encouragement. I need somebody to say, you're doing okay. Hey, thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> but it is true. Sometimes in our lives, whether we're talking about ourselves as individuals or whether we're talking about uh, something that's larger than ourselves that we're a part of, like a team or a business or a family or a church, sometimes we just need to hear a voice from outside of our own heads and outside of our own hearts offering supportive words of encouragement. This is exactly what God, inspiring Paul to write the Thessalonians, does. He encourages his people in the city of Thessalonica. And here, as Julia read for us, verses 1 through 10, it's all, all of chapter 1. As Julia read for us these verses, we see Paul encourage the Thessalonians by doing two things. He praises them and he assures them. 1 Thessalonians is, is widely regarded as one of Paul's earliest letters, written not too long after the planting and establishing of the church in Thessalonica, that is found in Acts chapter 17. There in Acts chapter 17, St. Luke records how Paul and Silas and Timothy arrived in this major city of Thessalonica, having left Philippi. And there in this new city, they, they did what they normally did, which was they preached the gospel of Jesus, crucified and risen, starting with the Jewish synagogue. And St. Luke is careful to tell us in Acts chapter 17 that the gospel mission of Paul and Silas and Timothy was an early success as some of the Jewish folks joined Paul and Silas as did a great many as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But after some time trouble arose. And not a long time after the planting of the church, the church came under attack. It was literally attacked. As Luke tells us in Acts chapter 17, a mob was formed. A mob of the rabble was formed. They were instigated by some opponents of the gospel from within the synagogue, and they went to seize Paul and Silas and Timothy. But they couldn't find Paul and Silas and Timothy, so instead they attacked the house of Jason, a believer in Jesus, and seemingly the host of the church. And Jason and some of the other believers in the city were drugged before the leaders of the city. And there they were accused, basically, of being a part of an insurrection, of a rebellion against Caesar. In front of the leaders of the city of Thessalonica, Jason and the others were accused of helping Paul and Silas, men who have turned the world upside down, acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. I think that's a pretty rough start to a church plant, don't you? You know, think about what Jason and these other believers from the city, think about where they're at. They're in Acts chapter 17. Suddenly, they're at the center of a mob. 
And there's nobody who knows what a mob's going to do, not even the people in the mob. And suddenly they're in trouble with the authorities of the city, all because they believed in Jesus and proclaimed him to be Lord and Savior. I don't know about you, but uh, I would think that if I was in that particular situation, suddenly it would be sort of a temptation to give up. It would be easy to give up and to give in and to go away. It would be easy to become discouraged. It would be easy to undo the damage that had been done, to walk back the profession of faith in Jesus, to, to go back to life as it was normally. But they didn't. They endured. And having heard about Jesus, they clung to Jesus. Even in the face of this hard time, this rough start, they endured. So Paul and Silas and Timothy were sent away by the Thessalonians because of their safety. Sent them to Berea. From Berea, Paul goes to Athens. There's a journey that Paul sends Timothy back to Thessalonica because he's worried about the church. And when Timothy returns, he brings such an amazing report that the church in Thessalonica is thriving, is working, is alive, is enduring, is well, even in the face of persecution, affliction, and the rough start, they were clinging to Jesus. So Paul writes this letter, a letter of encouragement, because sometimes we just need to be encouraged. Paul begins his letter and his encouragement by praising the believers in the church. Now, I know that it's sort of cheesy for me to do this, and trust me, there's whatever cool gene I may have is shriveling as I say this, but as I read these words, close your eyes and imagine yourself in the midst of hard times. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers. Remembering before God, before our God and Father, your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. This is really, really high praise coming from the pen of Paul. This is really high praise coming from a man inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this letter. This is really high praise coming from God. Paul tells these, this group of believers in Thessalonica, that they are a cause of him giving thanksgiving to God. Have you ever had someone say to you, I give thanks to God because of you? If you have, you know what kind of encouragement that might be, and that is. If you haven't, you can imagine what kind of encouragement that would be. It's pretty amazing, I think, that very specifically Paul says he thanks God for three aspects of this single church, their work of faith, their labor of love, and their steadfastness of hope in Jesus. These men and women have trusted in Jesus alone for salvation. They believed in Jesus, and then this faith led to action as Jason and the other believers in Jesus lived out their faith. Their lives were changed, they lived for God, they lived publicly, and their lives bear, bore fruit. And Paul thanked God for it and for them. They loved one another and others, and, and out of their love for one another and for others, they lived well, demonstrating their love by loving. It's one thing to say, I love you, 
But it's a whole other thing to say I love you and then demonstrate that love indeed. And their faith in Jesus led them to live faithful lives, to love well. And Paul thanked God for it and for them. Jason and the other believers endured their hard times and their afflictions because they had hope. They had a confident expectation that Jesus was doing and that Jesus would do exactly what he promised. And so that hope, that confident expectation led to endurance, to steadfastness. Even in the face of hard times, they clung to Jesus. When the temptation to give up, to give in, to go away was great, they clung to Jesus. And Paul thanked God for it and for them. It's encouraging to receive praise. It's encouraging to be told, you are the reason why I thank God. I see God at work in your life. That's what Paul's doing here, is offering encouragement. But he also reminds them, not only does he praise them, but he also reminds them that God is at work and that God is continuing to be at work in them. We see that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, 4 through 10. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you. Paul has just praised them. Paul has just told them they are a cause of thanksgiving to God, and now he reflects back upon their work, labor, and steadfastness as he presses into encouragement and he says to them, your work, your labor, your steadfastness are rooted in that which God has done for you. And what has God done for these Thessalonians, these believers? God has loved them and God has chosen them. This word chosen, you'll see, is often rendered as the word elected or elect. And here, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4, as in several places in Scripture, the idea of God choosing or electing refers to God's choosing of a person or a people to be his person or his people. Abraham, for example, in Genesis chapter 12, is chosen, is elect, uh, and by extension, the people of Israel are chosen. They are elect of God. In the New Testament, this concept of election is reflected, among other places, In Jesus' words from John chapter 15, where he tells his disciples, I chose you out of the world. Now, I recognize that within the wider church, the idea that God elects or God chooses those who respond to him with faith and thus receive salvation is sometimes a controversial matter. I recognize that there are people who believe and love Jesus very much who disagree on what exactly election means especially as it relates to the free will of a person. But we can't just ignore election because it's everywhere in Scripture. And we can't just pretend it doesn't exist because it's everywhere in Scripture. We have to understand it biblically. Here in this particular context of 1 Thessalonians, remember Paul's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit to encourage these believers, to tell them that God loves them, that God has chosen them. And when it comes to salvation, as reflected in Articles 10 and 17 of our Anglican 39 Articles of Religion, election is a doctrine of encouragement and assurance because believers recognize they're in God's family in Jesus because of what He has done and not dependent upon what they have or have not done. And it's pretty encouraging to know that we are a part of God's family in Jesus because of what He has done and not 
because of what I have done, because of what you have done. I look at myself every day in the mirror, and I recognize that I'm a pretty big schlub. I can't maintain my own standard of righteousness, much less God's standard of righteousness. And if my salvation is dependent upon my ability to be good enough, well, then I'm just out of luck. And before you guys cast too many stones in my general direction, I just remind you all, we're all in the same boat. Bishop John Rogers has said, in the gift of salvation, God is sovereign, and we are utterly dependent upon him. What an encouragement it is for Paul to say to these Thessalonians, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he's chosen you. If God loves them, if God has chosen them, then even in the midst of their affliction, God is with them, and God is working on their behalf. The bottom line is that election means God loves. And that's an encouragement to know that the creator of all that is, the one who redeems through Jesus Christ, doesn't just think of you sometimes. He thinks of you all the time and is fond of you. He loves you. He chooses you to be his sons and daughters in Jesus. But Paul says something pretty curious, I think. He said, we know that he's chosen you. How can that be? How can Paul know the election of these Thessalonians? Does Paul know the mind and election of God? I think we would say no, rather, in this passage, what Paul sees is proof of the election. I'm going to pick up reading in verse 4. If you have your Bibles open to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, follow along with me as I read. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, a very important word right here in verse 5, because he's now unveiling the proof. We know he's chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with all full and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Paul has said, we know that God chose you, but how can he know? First, in verse 5, Paul reminds them of how the gospel was preached, and he reminds them of the character of those who preached it. The gospel of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen, was preached to these Thessalonians with words accompanied by power. This is to say the Holy Spirit was actively at work while Paul and Silas and Timothy proclaimed Jesus crucified and risen. The Holy Spirit was actively at work to call, convict, enlighten, transform, assure, and comfort in the hearts and the minds of those who would hear. Very likely, as in other places, as the gospel was proclaimed, healings and miracles accompanied the preaching of the gospel. And we see that the, the message was true. It brought full conviction as the Holy Spirit did his work of convicting. 
The message was true, accompanied by power of the Holy Spirit, and was proclaimed by men of integrity and character. Paul and Silas and Timothy, they weren't perfect, but their desire was to proclaim the gospel accurately, to speak truth well, and to love these people. So how can these Thessalonians be sure that God chose them? And how can modern believers like you and me be sure God has chosen us? Check the first line of evidence. Was the preaching of the gospel accompanied by power of the Holy Spirit actively at work in you and in your life? And was the gospel proclaimed by messengers with integrity? Let me just say this. As I stand here at Emmanuel Anglican Church, I recognize that while I'm wearing my own shoes, there's large shadows of pastoral excellence before me. This church has been blessed for the last 40 to 45 years with gospel preaching for men of integrity and character. And I will not put myself in their category because I'm not there. But I know that since, Forrest, you came here when Moses was still in third grade, right? Yeah. So since Forrest came in the late 60s with uh, Father Forrest and Father Sandy, now Bishop Sandy, and of course Father Mike, this church has been blessed with gospel preaching ministry accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit and with pastors who are men of character and integrity. I would never compare myself to these three heroes of mine, but I would tell you that I do seek to preach the word with excellence, with clarity, and with conviction. So maybe someday, if you don't... Listen, it's kind of self-seeking to talk about Pastoral Appreciation Month in the middle of a sermon, but I just want you to know, I want you to know how much I appreciate the pastors who come before me. And that's one way that you can be sure of your election. Was the gospel proclaimed with power, and was there character and integrity of the proclaimer? And secondly, Paul tells us in verses 6 through 8 that there is proof of election as you reflect on your attitude, or the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. It can and it does happen that folks will respond to the gospel of Jesus, but, but then give up and go away when affliction comes because of the gospel. There's a reason why perseverance is a mark of a believer in Jesus, and such perseverance, joy even, in the midst of affliction, is evidence of election. Quite frankly, folks, in the midst of affliction, you will not be joyful without the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit doesn't come unless you believe in Jesus. In their perseverance, their faith, their joy, the Thessalonians are talked about even around Greece. We've all been around long enough to know that word spreads quickly and the truth is eventually found out. Well, the truth that spread quickly about the church in Thessalonica was that their, tr their faith was true. They believed, they persevered. How can these Thessalonians be sure God chose them? How can modern believers like us be sure God has elected us? Check the second line of evidence. Is there joy in the Holy Spirit, especially in hard times? Does a reputation of faithfulness precede us? Because this won't happen without God's work on our behalf, without God's choosing. Remember this. Remember what God has done for us and be encouraged. And the final proof that Paul offers is, is found partly in verse 6 and then in verses 9 and 10. As the final proof that God has chosen them, Paul points to the change of life they have experienced. 
God's choosing leads to a changed life as he brings to bear upon all who believe the power of the Holy Spirit. They've turned away from idols in order to worship the true God and be righteous before him by Jesus. And they've committed themselves to imitating, living like Paul and the other mature believers in Jesus, and living like in imitation and obedience to Jesus himself. Instead of living for themselves, they now live awaiting Jesus' return. Their lives exhibit works of faith, labors of love, steadfastness of hope in Jesus. How can these Thessalonians be sure God chose them? How can modern believers like you and me be sure God has elected us? Check the third light of evidence. Is there true and lasting life change? Is there a continual turning away from idols and those things which demand our attention and our worship and a turning toward God through Jesus? This won't happen without God's work on our behalf, without God's choosing. Remember this. Remember what God has done for us and be encouraged. Paul, in, in writing to a church he loves deeply, offers words of praise and assurance in order to encourage them to stay the course, to maintain their faith in Jesus. And just like these believers in Thessalonica, we too need to be encouraged. Sometimes we just need to be told that we're doing okay, that we're making it. This is exactly what Paul does in our passage today as he encourages the Thessalonians by praising and assuring them. And as you hear these words today, I pray the Holy Spirit is at work offering you a word of encouragement from God's word. I said this to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.